things that I really, really noticed in that time is how certain quotes just pop up all the time now on your feeds. You know, how many of them are actually like true? As in Seneca wrote this or what have you. And obviously people attribute stuff to Socrates when he never actually wrote anything. Um, but the amount of particularly Marcus Aurelius, you know, every single day, whether it's Instagram, and, and I don't know, obviously some of the stuff's going to be like um, manipulated to what you tend to look at and what have you. But the amount of quotes that start, have started appearing on social media, people sharing those things all the time, time just for way of inspiration or you know they found it inspiring to share it and and what have you i, th- I think it's, it's pretty amazing I, th- I think that's one of the benefits because you can also look at the downsides <laughs> one of the benefits of course of social media yeah. is that when people find stuff that works and helps definitely them, you know that it does catch on eventually. well the other thing i'd say is that there was kind of a stoic diaspora like there were loads of people who were into stoicism that never talked about it because they didn't know anyone else that was into stoicism mm. so like millions yeah. of people had read the meditations already it was already a very popular self-help book but they never formed communities and the internet allowed them to yeah. form communities where they would talk to the other people and they'd go oh man it's Max Aurelius you into Max Aurelius as well like you know, you live in Australia yeah. and I live in the UK but you can, suddenly these people were all talking to each other and so they came together in a way that they weren't able to before the internet what you just said yeah. is correct though that I don't know a very rough stab in the dark estimate probably half the quotes I see from classics on Instagram in particular and, and some other platforms are, are bogus, fake quotes. Um, yeah. <laughs> and often the statues that they have pictures of are the wrong people as well. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. But, I mean, here's a tip for you, by the way. Like, it would be much better. There are these websites that collate quotes and most of them are garbage. But the um, the Wiki quote, which is part of Wikipedia, is significantly better. It's not 100% reliable, but it's definitely better it's good. because it yeah. has editors and all the quotes in it have to be referenced. Like, So yeah. it's far better than most of the other quote websites that are online. That are just full it, it, it's why, um, obviously, with, with the Marcus Aurelius show, it's quite easy because you go through the books, pick the passages. But with the other show that I do with Jamie Keeling, where we're it's stoicism for modern life, so we have the freedom to go anywhere. It's one of the reasons why I kind of avoid us just jumping on and trying to find a quote at the last minute. <laughs> uh, because the internet, you know, you do have to kind of really back, back you know, check things. I mean, what, what to be honest, with that, what's proved handy is when we need one at the last minute, it's gone to Ryan's book, yeah, which has been pretty like, helpful for that. Ryan's book's well. like pretty good. I don't think I think all the quotes in that are, are reliable. But I was going to say, like some of the books, also because of the phenomenon of self-publishing now, it means that yeah. you get a lot of books that don't include references for the quotes and aren't. And so there are books now that contain fake quotes from the classics. Okay, okay. <laughs> like which you know, and then our blog articles that contain fake quotes and stuff like that. So that is a problem that's kind of getting bigger and bigger. Mm. But you're right, you know, like books like Ryan Holiday's are reliable. I've been duped by fake quotes when I've been trying to look up something in a hurry. Like, but you can. I think we all need to get slightly better. It's it's not unlike yeah. the phenomenon that we see at the moment with the pandemic and medical research. Like my background is yeah. partly in public health as well, and I think we're living through an absolute public health catastrophe. Like, I agree. because I mean, of social I, media. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right away. And, and if you think about it, a bit like climbing, if you like, to any political party, or most, in most cases, if you go to just have a objective view of social media, to me, it's full of sophistry. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Every everyone's fighting to prove a point or to outdo something, outdo someone to sell themselves in some way. It's the same. Like if you look at any, you know, a political party or what have you, it's not necessarily a what p- politicians don't necessarily want to, say, to be proud of being proved wrong because they've learned a new truth. You know, it's all it's this is my way, fight for my way. This is this way, fight for this way. And you know, it's that use of rhetoric, whether it's like I say in in parliament debates, whether it's in um, the media um, doing it or, or whether it's through ourselves even on social media you know unwittingly like using that kind of like sophistry stuff to make people think this is right this is what you need and it's all almost boils back down to something we could go into with Marcus where it's more giving that self-fulfillment and praise from others rather than actually searching um, for a truth as of course like Socratic debate would do well stoicism in a sense is about the kind of prototype of scientific method you, you mentioned earlier a thinking passing objective representation. So the Stoics were influenced by Socrates, but they were also influenced by the philo- the pre-Socratic philosophers. Many of them were what we call natural mm. philosophers. They did philosophy of nature, uh, physikoi, um, and they part of what they tried to do was to describe natural phenomena in a kind of more objective way, suspending value judgments and just sticking to observable facts. And so Marcus Aurelius sees this not just as a kind of intellectual exercise, but as a therapeutic exercise. He thinks that by... Mm. They didn't have science in the way that we understand it back then, but they had its precursor in natural philosophy. Marcus thinks that by being a natural philosopher, being a proto-scientist, like in describing upsetting events such as the pandemic, like in the way that a scientist would, in a balanced and objective and impartial manner, we save ourselves from having our thinking distorted by outrage yes. and anger and anxiety. Whereas, what we who's who's doing the opposite of that is uh, the media and yeah. politicians and <laughs> social and media and to each yeah. other. You see people fighting now because their views are different. It's you yeah, know, people it's, do it to each mad. other. On, I mean, social media yeah. forces us to do it in some ways because, like, so on Twitter, for example. You can only speak in, you know, like sound bites. So that kind of prevents people from being able to formulate a rational, balanced argument, and it kind of encourages yeah. overgeneralization and jumping to conclusions. And, and, and unfortunately, I think I think that's largely come from the fact that people don't read the long the posts on the face, you know, the Facebook posts or what have you. They want the bloody paragraph nowadays, don't they? Because they've got so much to do, and they get their medical information <laughs> during a public health crisis from people who are not qualified in medical research and don't understand medical research and consistently misinterpret it, such as Joe Rogan, for, to, name, yeah. to name the example that's trending in the I, media. For, unfortunately, though, as well, like, I, can, I can kind of see why that happens when there's also people who are qualified or who are supposed to be taking advice of people who are qualified who don't always put out the right information as well. And, you know, coming, coming from like a health and fitness background where I used to have, I'm you know, going back like 15 years, I would have clients coming to me from with high cholesterol and the doctor's telling them to avoid cholesterol foods and what have you. I'm looking over their blood tests and telling them to do the opposite and suddenly they're off the cholesterol meds. And obviously nowadays you don't really have that food pyramid with all the grains at the bottom and doctors have a much you know better idea on that so I, I i think like sometimes as well there is that that misinformation whereby when new research comes out something as well we do take a very very long time to shift 
And I think, you know, speaking from personal experience, having to go through that battle at that time with a lot of other people in my industry back then in fitness, health side, particularly with cholesterol, saying, no, this is wrong, this is what we should be doing and what have you. Um, you know, it's I could sympathise with them to an extent because the fact is you could you could have people qualify still giving different pieces of information unless you're prepared to really go and look at it yourself. That's true. Have sources and that you s- trust. science changes. However, what prevents progress in science is emotive rhetoric and, you know, using mm. uh, scientific data to make a political point. But also more yeah. fundamentally, the on social media every day, uh, we've known since even before the rise of social media that people were consistently being misled by, like in the UK tabloid newspapers, for example, yeah. every day you make uh, basic methodological errors in um, in misinterpreting scientific yeah. and medical research right every and day. it's often intended for you right. to do so that. they probably <laughs> do it they, like, i don't know if they're doing it on purpose or not i'd like to think they're not but they it's hard to it's hard to imagine that they don't know what they're doing so for example they consistently misinterpret correlational studies is is supporting causal mm. conclusions right so any yeah. researcher or evidence-based clinician would look at that and think that like that's bad science it's pseudoscience yeah and it pervades the newspapers but it didn't have as much influence until the rise of social media and then the yeah. pandemic where suddenly everything it gets spread you, second, this happens yeah. all you know and the entire scientific community agree that that's bad science right yeah and I, yet, I used to always uh, sorry, I used to joke like with the the fitness side of things actually, like and talk, looking at sort of research correlation, causation, and what have you. In the summer, ice cream sales go up. Rates of murder also go up in the summer, so that means people who eat ice cream are murderers. Yeah, it could be <laughs> like you know people with headaches like take a lot of uh, paracetamol. Maybe paracetamol causes headaches. It's crazy, right? <laughs> but that's how newspapers and social media yeah. handle research. Like they're making us all far stupider than we were before. Like, yeah. and it's it's spiraled recently. Now, okay, so this is where the stoicism come in, right? The Stoics didn't know about methodology in, in medical research, obviously. But the Stoics warned us right out of the gate to be wary of people that were using rhetoric. Like, they knew a yeah. lot about rhetoric and the different strategies that are used in order to manipulate the emotions. That goes back to the, the Sophists and Plato, Socrates. That's yeah. what they did. And so the Stoics saw themselves as developing a kind of counter-rhetoric is protecting they saw it's our obligation to try and protect ourselves against this sort of brainwashing that we experience mm. and having and a big part of it, not the only part, is the the Stoics thought in modern psychotherapy we think of there as being three categories of negative emotion that people have to deal with. Um anger, fear and sadness, right? So that's a broad simplification. People who come for psychotherapy are more likely to present initially with sadness or depression, fear, anxiety, but they're less yeah. likely to present with anger because anger is an externalizing emotion. Usually when people are angry, they kind of blame other people. The Stoics thought that anger was the most serious emotional threat that society, that civilization faced. We have an entire book by Seneca on the Stoic psychotherapy of anger. And one of the things I noticed today is that we are living during a period where we're bombarded with information about self-improvement, 
and there's a danger in that because one of the problems that we that psychotherapists typically encounter with our clients is that the client, clients are often using self-help or self-improvement advice um but they're using the wrong advice so they're yeah. spending a lot of time and energy reading books about dealing with their anxiety for example or dealing with their depression and maybe doing nothing to address their yeah. anger like and so self-help even self-help that's beneficial could be counterproductive if it diverts type resources like time and energy from fixing more urgent psychological behavioral problems that we face it's a way of it's a form of subtle avoidance in a sense in many cases and i think on a huge scale what we're seeing now is people using self-help or self-improvement as a form of subtle avoidance to do anything but address their real psychological problems which in many cases on the internet, we, we see our anger, hatred, animosity, alienation from other people. Like, yeah. we see that on a huge scale now. The, and the Stoics warned us about that. And they tried to provide us with advice and techniques to help address that problem. And, and I, th- I think it's really interesting that you say that because one, one of the things that we just touched on earlier of course was that sort of booming um stoicism now and no doubt that relates to as well the environment that we have created you know so it's so a whilst okay at the minute there will be a lot of misrepresentation there always is i talked about it with the health side of things you talked about it with cbt and everything now we're talking about it with personal development um there is still over time i believe that the good things the things that really benefit do come to the to the forefront at the minute we're in this unfortunate position where we've just got you know think about it in relative terms this new tool to share anything with anyone in one second anywhere on the planet and i always feel that we've kind of spent the last two thousand years it probably relates a little to what you mentioned not entirely but relates a little to what you mentioned on the link between stoicism cbt and what's happened in between and why it's kind of dropped off you know after the initial or after marcus's time really the later stoics um but along that path we've kind of had this huge like industrial technological revolution and almost like stay still and not evolved enough with it psychologically um and i kind of think you know perhaps the boom of stoicism and stuff now is kind of in a way seeing that that can actually really help with all these like threats that we perceive as to our survival on a daily basis now you know it's like we have to do this at this time this at that time that at that time and i think like the stoicism people have seen like a benefit to helping to manage that and really it's perhaps like the early ground is of a bit of a psychological evolution like humanity is going to go through learning the benefits of actually understanding ourselves properly and doing it better as well um let's hope so anyway because you know work that good work like you put out of course becomes more value there's always a kind of pendulum swing in history isn't there and i think what we're seeing like i think gradually it's very slow but we're seeing people becoming a little bit more savvy about social media like mm. questioning the sources that information is coming from you know social media platforms are trying to uh introduce sometimes they're too heavy-handed but sometimes they do things that are legitimately helpful like you know presenting people with more credible information or pointing out possible fallacies in the information that they're they're spreading you know i see on twitter for example it it, like um it now reminds you to if you're going to retweet an article that says are you sure you should retweet this before you read it first like just yeah (laughs) like like subtle there are subtle things like that that are maybe kind of like helping to 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 stem the flow of uh misinformation spreading online yeah 
I, I think it will take time, but I, I think that like, one of the things is, you know, we can go back to, because we need to get, um, go back more on to Marcus, actually. So probably a good segue to that is, you know, if you look at his view of things, it's, you are but a speck, you know, in this great, like, spectrum of time that, you know, the universe has been around for and will be around for. We're just a speck in that. So, yeah, retrospectively, when you look at it in 2000 years time, what we're obviously talking about now is like a slow progress. They may look back and be like, well, they actually progressed that really quick. We don't know. But ultimately, it is. I think we're living in a time where we're seeing what will be reflected as a start, perhaps, of that psychological evolution happening. The main thing, and the, the Stoics... There, there's something that I don't think actually comes through in the surviving Stoic literature, which is part Stoicism. So sometimes people say they think Stoicism seems a bit like a religion. And I, I'd say yes and no to that. Like, in, in mm. some ways, it's more like... Um, a religion than people would normally think of academic philosophy is being it's like a yoga or like buddhism it's a way of it's philosophy as a way of life as Pierre Hadot put it but uh, what we get in the surviving stoic literature is a kind of bullet point version of the philosophy we get Marcus Aurelius kind of describing some of its principles and some of its techniques the same in Epictetus and Seneca but we don't see as much evidence of the philosophical method being applied in those writings mm. we do a bit in epictetus he uses the socratic method in some of the the discourses but stoicism was a form of socratic philosophy first yeah. and foremost yeah. and they loved socrates they revealed socrates and what they took from socrates was this emphasis that on self uh, analysis uh, intellectual self-analysis questioning yeah. yeah socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living and this is really, you know, a motif that runs through Stoicism as well. So one of the reasons that Stoicism is, is timely now is the emphasis it places on critical thinking, logical. Analyzing yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and applying logic and reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. In particular, learning to take a step back from and reevaluate the thinking that underlies anger and other strong emotions. Yeah. Um, this is why it's the basis of cognitive therapy. Cognitive therapy arrived at the same conclusion half a century ago and then validated it scientifically. Um, When people come into therapy, they'll describe their anger, fear or sadness. And then they'll usually, what tends to happen in the initial consultation, the initial assessment, is they'll talk about all the harm it's doing. It's destroying their relationship. It's making them physically ill. It's affecting their sleep. It's affecting their performance at work. It's making them miserable in general to be so angry, to be so anxious, to be so depressed, whatever the presenting problem is. And then usually there's a point in the initial session where clients typically uh, give an expression of stuckness, as it's sometimes put. So they've kind of talked about how awful this is, and you're doing, gee, it sounds like you should do something about mm. it, doesn't it? Like you've given a bunch of reasons why you'd want to change, yeah. right? By telling this story. And then they'll say, but I can't help it. Like, yeah, because it's external. They'll it's say, external to us. yeah. It's just how I feel, is, is what they'll typically mm. say, right? And Ellis, Albert Ellis, who was one of the pioneers of cognitive therapy at that point, would lean forward and smile and he'd say, yes, but it's not just how you feel, is it? It's also how you think. Like, because we now know the, the central principle of stoicism and the central principle of cognitive therapy is the cognitive model of emotion. The fact that it's not just yeah. feelings aren't just feelings. They're based upon and shaped by our underlying beliefs attitudes yeah. and patterns of thinking and, and those get reinforced for our lives and, as well and they have prob- the thing that's crucially different um about that model is that thoughts 
these thoughts of secular have propositional content, by which I mean they're true or false. Like, mm. So typically people who are anxious will think something catastrophic is going to happen and I won't be able to cope with it. It's a typical yeah. formula for worry or anxiety. Yeah. It's an exaggerated appraisal of the probability and severity of threat. Yeah, it's an easy way to describe anxiety, really, is yeah. the perception of something coming in the future that's going to give you more negatives than positive. Yeah, like, you know, that, you put it down to like a fundamental. The Stoics described that as the cognitive model of anxiety, and that's Beck, like uh, one of the other pioneers of cognitive therapies. Uh, that's his cognitive model of anxiety in a nutshell. Yeah. And so the Stoics would say, but maybe some of those beliefs are false, like, yeah. or maybe they're only partially true. Like, and we should therefore question them. And by questioning the beliefs that cause our anxiety and depression and anger, we could potentially change our feelings because the two aren't separate. You start, to, you start to see different perspectives from things as well. Um, yeah. You know, ultimately that's that's what happens. You're examining yourself. You examine those past experiences where you may have felt your anxiety in the past and then see, well, actually, did that not lead to this good thing that you love now? Did that not lead to this? And all of a sudden, you're changing that data set, aren't you, to realise, hang on a minute, there's another way of looking at this now. Um, because those things that I was anxious of in the past, they've actually turned out to be good. So why am I feeling that now? You know, and that, that's, I think that's ultimately the process that you, you try and go through and not an easy one to do, but... <laughs> it's difficult to do. They, you know, that's why uh, Socrates said, you know, we need to practice and train. We need to engage in dialogue with other people. Like, and we need to, you know, we need to want to examine our thinking. Um, say hi. Hey. <laughs> we need to want to examine our thinking. It takes an effort. Have the cats do a podcast one day. It's uh, just for those listening. Donald's just uh, had his cat come say hi. My, um, it's called Cornelius. It's my Cornelius cat, Aurelius. <laughs> my cat's called Aurelius and he's asleep on the floor next to me. <laughs> I guess someone's going to sit on my lap. So, Let, let's... Sorry, go on, if you wanted to... Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, I th- that's the main lesson. So, like, we should tell everyone the quote. Like, the the I would say the most popular quote from Stoicism is passage five in the Enchiridion, or handbook of Epictetus, where it says, it's not things that upset us, but rather our opinions about them. Our opinions, too. And that, yeah. that quote was taught by Albert Ellis to all of his students, and mm. I think to all of his therapy clients. And so by the 1980s, almost every book on CBT had that quote from Epictetus in it. It was a cliche yeah. in the CBT field. And so that's why I would say that's probably the most influential today or best known quote from yeah. all the surviving there's a writings. Similar, there's, there's a very similar Marcus Aurelius one. This is an interesting thing thing for you about how I part my journey into stoicism, actually, is that... Uh, I went through loads of stuff in my life like five years ago to the point where one minute I was suicidal, the next minute I nearly died. I'm going to say by accident, but it's obviously carelessness because you're in that state, euphoric state where you didn't really care if you died anyway. Um, and But something happened, near-death experience, and literally within like the next day, I'm looking back thinking, wow, life's amazing. I'm so grateful for every little thing here. And I had to understand what had actually happened in my mind between like from going to that state to that. Anyway, long story short is that I then later on ended up public speaking, talking about that story. And I actually shared uh, Marcus Aurelius' quote when, when I was doing so. Um, I can't remember the, the exact quote, but it's it's basically like, um, it's not the things that happen, but how we respond to them and that we have the power to um, evoke at any moment. 
Um, I think yeah, something along those lines. But but yeah, it's very similar to the Appetitus one. You Can just I tell mentioned. you a little story about Marcus Aurelius that not a lot of people know? Please do, because we want to get some more in before we have to finish All up because right. we haven't done enough on it, him himself. So go for it. Yes. <laughs> 